0: Well, we praise God's name. Amen. Amen. We know that he is always watching after us. He is always taking care of us. And through the storm, through the bleak night, God has always got a light. Amen. Amen. So without further ado, we're going to ask Pastor Ed Trenner to carefully make it up the altar. (laughs) (laughs) And be careful with the steps. There you go. Look at him go. Look at him go.
1: Get off. (laughs) That's too funny. Some of you weren't here some weeks ago, and I wasn't. You have no idea what I just did, so that's okay. I climbed a ladder, and I got down safely. I just want you to know that. It it is possible. Uh, My wife was there with a net to catch me, a fishing net. I don't know what she thought I was doing. No, no and this has been uh, some kind of uh, couple weeks here that' have just passed us by here um, uh, Last Monday I was collecting large hot embers uh, around our house um, our, uh, We have a pool in the backyard I say it came with the house um, I wanted to fill it in but the kids didn't so they filled it. With themselves, but the pool was absolutely black with ash. Um, we live about five miles from the fires that happened in Anaheim Hills in Orange, and um, my our daughter, middle daughter, is a school teacher, uh, elementary school teacher, and two of her kids' uh, families. Uh, one next door neighbor's house was gone, and uh, they have another one. Their house was pretty pretty well damaged, and in, in all of that, it's just tough times. We have friends from uh, Santa Rosa that were with us uh, last uh, Friday, uh, went home Sunday afternoon back to Santa Rosa. Sunday evening, uh, at 2 o'clock in the morning, they were rousted and evacuated, and by noon their house was gone. Uh, they were among the 1,500 houses that, uh, that uh, were burned down in Santa Rosa. It's a lot of trying times in people's lives. And somewhere in all of this that's really close to us now, we've lost track to the fact that there have been uh, two major earthquakes in central Mexico uh, with great damage in the city of Mexico, uh, Mexico City, the capital. And uh, we have uh, mission folk who live only five miles from the school building that collapsed that showed up in our, our news all the time. And... Uh, have a family that moved from Orange to Houston and were there a part of the hurricane that went through some weeks ago now. And friends in Florida who've watched two hurricanes pass through. These have been devastating days for a lot of people in their lives. Uh, it all represents a lot of change for them. And I kind of want to focus my thoughts here with you this morning uh, about how do we how do we process change how do we how do we deal with the things that aren't what they were and uh, not in anywhere near the traumatic nature of uh, the physical uh, things that have happened around our world and in our state but uh, even here at uh, at grace you you things what was true a year ago is not the same today and there's questions in people's minds. What's next? What's happening? So we're in the midst of change. And I just I want to look at what God has to say to us about how we process change together as His church. And uh, it'll be helpful to you. Oh, and before I forget, I'm, I was told to to remind all of the men. Uh, If you haven't registered for the men's retreat next weekend, make sure you go online and do it. It may feel a little complicated, but you just kind of stay with it, read it carefully, and you'll find your way through the registration. And uh, But uh, we're looking forward to it. I'm going to be there, too. Uh, It'll be a fun time up at Alpine. By the way, it's Alpine is located at Blue Jay and not Big Bear. It's not Pine Summit. This is Alpine. Uh, and it's located at Blue Jay near Lake Arrowhead. Um, but, uh, you're going to have directions here. But looking forward to it. It's a time when we talk about uh, how do we as men uh, live together in a way that encourages, builds up each other and in, in our families and in, uh, in our church. And uh, so be good. So change. Uh, sometimes it's, um, it's welcomed. Sometimes we work to make change happen. Um, but sometimes uh, change is, comes to us by surprise, and we're not ready for it, and we don't know how to process that. But change almost always has some difficulty that comes with it. Uh, some thoughts from Scripture have been helpful to me in these days, particularly in our lives and in the lives of our friends. Uh, Psalm 46, verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea. Psalm 62, verse 5. My soul, wait in silence for God only, for my hope is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be shaken. On God my salvation and my glory rest the rock of my strength, my refuge is in God. trust in him at all times, old people. pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. and Paul tells us in his letter to the Philippians, be anxious for nothing I't know can we, can we define nothing? Uh, It's just nothing except this and this and this Uh, is except come. Is that parallel? Is that come together with the word nothing? Uh, Nothing is nothing. Right. Not anything else. Is Is that be anxious in nothing? But in everything and not just some things that are convenient or some things that we think God can do. But in everything. By prayer And supplication, that's praying with earnestness, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And lest we lose track of something that was really significant in this, uh, don't be anxious about anything, but in, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. When you ask somebody for something, do you say thank you at the time when you ask? No, you say thank you when they've done what you've asked, right? So when I pray and ask God for something, He says to do it with thanksgiving, He's telling me, believe me, I'm going to do it for you. So do it with a heart of expectation, anticipation that that I'm going to answer you. So in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, doesn't make any sense sometimes. The peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Uh, these passages have uh, flown through my head and my heart a lot in recent weeks. And out of my mouth, as I seek to be an encouragement to those who have lost, those who've had difficulty. A week and a half ago, my sister, who's 10 years older than me, uh, ended up in the hospital uh, in ER uh, with extreme uh, pain in, in her chest and abdomen. And, uh, and she had major surgery two days later. And uh, it was really difficult. It was touch and go. Her physical condition, they, they said she wasn't a candidate for surgery. But the surgeon said, I'm going I'm to fix it. And he did. And she's recovering well. And she came home yesterday in, uh, to live down in Escondido. But just through that whole process of, you know, there's, there's, it's a touch and go. They're going to stay with me. They're still going to be with us for a while. You know, And those are all questions that come to us at difficult times. Somewhere in all of those difficult times, God has not changed. He's still the creator of all things. He's still the one who knit you together in your mother's womb. You are his individual creation. And he knows you. He knows your name. He knows what's in your mind. He knows what's, what's stirring inside of you that you can't even put into words. He knows us intimately. And he loves us. These things, these promises, these perspectives help me process change that uh, comes my way. How we respond from our heart in difficulties affects what we do or don't do. I either have courage or I retreat and run. I have confidence or I shake in fear. I have peace or I'm anxious. I'm submissive to God or I'm rebellious. I trust or I distrust. I have clarity or I have confusion. And all of those contrasts revolve around what's the condition of my heart and where is my heart? And is my heart in the Lord and confident in Him? I can rest in Him. I know my life is temporary. That's really clear. I think I I, I, my dad lived to 96, and I'm sure I'll live well past him because I'm much healthier now than he was at this age. But he doesn't ride a bicycle. And he didn't climb ladders. (laughs) But I fully expect that um, I'll live well past 100 in, in my life. But I may not make it home today because we are temporary. But my relationship with God is not temporary nor conditioned on my physical health or posture and position in life today. I am eternally His. All of us are through our faith in Jesus and what He did for us on the cross. So it's perspective. Where's my focus? Where's my heart? I think Solomon grabbed a, a key thing when he wrote in Proverbs uh, chapter 4, verse 23, Watch over your heart with all diligence for from it flow the springs of life. Where's your heart? Keep it close to the Lord. Change is um, its helpful for me when I can see change as a transition. It's not change from, this is the way it was and this is the way it is. It, it feels too closed, to open, uh, shut down. Uh, it feels more final to me. But if I can understand change as a transition from what was to what will be. It's, it's a transition. It's not a black and white kind of uh, experience in life, but it's a transition, and it's helpful to me when I can see the big picture that God sees, and I can see what is changing now. I can see how it's a transition from something that was to something more that God is going to do. And I suggest that is true for you here. It nor want grace. What was is different now. However, I could say this: that two, three, four, five years ago, what was yesterday was different the next day. Those are just true things about us. It's just when they look bigger, they feel different. So right now, you're in in a, in, in a leadership focus kind of thing. Where are we going? What are we doing? And what's happening? And all these kinds of things. And they just say. It's a transition that God's got. And it helps me to understand the transition in the big picture. And there are four things I want to give to you real quick here. And that uh, we can count on from God. Uh, There are four things that keep me focused in the Lord and what's going on around me. And the first one is this. What's the big picture for God? It's in a simple phrase in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Whatever it is that God's about in this world today, this is high on his list. everything in history and relationship to Israel, everything that took place in the coming of Jesus and his life and his death and all that followed in the church, focus on one thing, people reconciled in their relationship with God through his son. Whatever's going on here at Norwalk, God is doing this. Can I see the changes and things that may be happening here in the context that God is about reaching a world that's lost? Reconciling his creation to himself. Can I see that? And the changes that are taking place, how can I see these changes as helping open a door or focus or be about God's agenda? This transition, how does it participate, move us toward in a primary concern that God has, and that is the reconciliation of all people to himself. Remember 2 Peter three nine. For God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's what's on his heart. And what was on the heart of Jesus? I've come to seek and save that which is lost. A second part of, uh, uh, that I gather from the book that's helpful to me to see the big picture. <clears throat> and that's in Romans 8.28. <clears throat> And we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love Him and to those who are called according to His purpose. It's a big picture. Whatever's going on, God's creating a good thing there for those who love Him and are in alignment with His purpose. God's working out a good thing here. you can count on that. That's part of the big picture. When things don't make sense to me, I know that God's going to work a good thing out of this. It's a sense of hope and stability, confidence for me. The verse that follows that is verse 29 in Romans 8. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. I know in the big picture of everything that God determined in the beginning, knowing who was going to come to him, he determined in the beginning that he would shape the likeness of Christ in them. So regardless of what the situation may look like, I know that God's about the lost. I know that God's about creating good things. In whatever the situation is, and I know that He's at work in everybody who's a believer, He's at work in their hearts, shaping the likeness of Christ in them. Now, I have learned in life, <clears throat> I'll put it this way I've observed in life that God's shaping process has usually come through difficulty. I feel more like a piece of uh, marble or granite being chiseled. <laughs> uh, But I see what God's doing in my heart and the lives of other people who are saying, Okay, God, do what you're going to do. I welcome the likeness of Christ in me. Can I see the big picture of that? (coughs) Paul again expressed to the Philippians, he said, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. That good work of shaping Christ in us, he's committed himself to. And Paul is expressing the confidence that God will continue that good work until we're with him. And there's one more context. There's four that I'm suggesting to you here. And the other is this. Jesus made the statement, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Big picture. God's about reconciling the world to Himself. God's about creating good things out of every situation. God's about shaping the life and likeness of Jesus in each of us who are believers. And He's about the business of building His church. So, no matter what it looks like to me, <coughs> excuse me, in the midst of change, I know He's doing these four things. And understanding these big picture four things helps me understand or be patient with the things that don't make sense in the moment. I can trust God. I'm His, and the church is His. And you can rest in that as well. Paul said to the Ephesians in description of the church, he said, And He, God, put all things in subject and under His, that's Jesus' feet, and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Jesus said, I will build my church. It's not yours. You may have been about the founding group that put the start of this thing. Or I doubt that any of you were around then. Well, maybe some of you. I don't know. But you didn't do it. Jesus did. This is his church. You are his people. It's just helpful to hang on to that perspective. And that God gave all authority to Jesus, it said in this verse, right? Put everything under his feet, under his authority, and made him head over all things to the church. You and me and him. So Jesus is the head of his body, the church. He's calling us, everyone, to himself, conforming us to the image of his son, bringing good things out of difficulty, uh, building his church. That's what he's about. The church, the body of Christ, is not unlike a human body, even described in Scripture that way for us. Uh, We can be healthy or unhealthy. We can function well or not. We can be whole or handicapped. And physically, we need an annual checkup. At least that's what the doctors tell us. And uh, so far in life, that's been a pretty good thing for me. Uh, And I always walk away with the same instruction. Diet, exercise, and rest. And meds. I don't know if that comes along with it, too, I guess. <clears throat> but I think it's the same for the church, too. I think every once in a while we need to take an assessment of where we're at in our relationship with the Lord. What he says he's about is his church. Uh, Taking an, uh, an assessment of our own heart and life. Is it in him and dependent on him, submiss- submissive to him? Are we walking with him in this? Are we acknowledging that this is uh, His church? We are His church. Are those things clear in our head? And that's our dependence on Him. Are we looking for answers from Him? Uh, Are we creating our own solutions? Uh, Those are all things that are, you know, we have to do a checkup, I think, every once in a while. I, I found also in life, lived long enough to know that the human nature Has an automatic bent to want to be in control of every situation, starting with my own heart and life, and that's where the rebellion is. By the way, that's what keeps me from walking in the Lord in the first place. There's a point in time in which I have to submit and say, God, I'm sorry. I I I need you and I want you, and if I know I'm yours. I need your grace and your mercy, I need your forgiveness, and I believe that Jesus died for me. He took all the judgment that could come against me, I believe that. There's a submissive heart that begins in our relationship with Jesus. Is that fair? And then he expects us to live our life like that. Continue to live our life in that kind of relationship with him. I read in the first two, uh, uh, well, chapters two and three of the book of Revelation, there's seven churches in Asia, that uh, <clears throat> Paul got to be a part of helping initiate. You know, he was there to preach the gospel and, and others. And uh, these seven churches, uh, Jesus had a message to each of them, and and those messages weren't all very very nice. <laughs> well, I'm saying that Jesus didn't do anything nice. I'm just saying that it was uncomfortable for the people. They were not praises. And so I I call that only account to say that we're always in process and God's always at work shaping in us the likeness of Christ and building his church. So let's just yield to that and walk in that and move in it together. Some specific instruction here. Uh, having said everything I've said, I'm going to get to the core of my message now. That. That's, but I won't take much longer than that. So, Ephesians chapter 4. In um, uh, verse 12 it says there are gifted people to the church. There's the, the, the prophet, uh, the, the apostle, the evangelist, the pastor, the teacher. And these are gifted people for the purpose of equipping the body to do the work of ministry. And, um, and then he talks about what this church, this body, How it functions and how it functions together. And he said to them in verse 15, chapter 4, verse 15 of Ephesians. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. From whom, that is Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part. This causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. These are three short verses that are worth memorizing and reflecting on. Growing together in Christ involves speaking the truth in love, serving with our gifts, proper working of each part, and the building each other up in love. And I ask the question, what does this love look like? Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, at the beginning of this chapter, it says, walk in a manner worthy of your calling With humility, gentleness, patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. So we read later in the chapter that which we just read that when all of us are functioning together in this body as God designed it, it causes this body to grow and build itself up in love. And this love will look like this. Humility, gentleness, patience, showing tolerance for one another, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. Romans chapter 12 verse 10 says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. seems like I keep coming back to Philippians. Again, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. These are three passages that... that, uh, have been very strong for me and, and, and embracing what does it mean to be a loving community, a caring community. And how can I participate in that? What am I doing that's contrary to that, that I need to adjust? What am I doing that's, that's contributing to this kind of loving community? And how can I do more of that? Or how can I nurture that or stir that? Verse 4 there says, Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also the interest of others. This continues in verse 5 that follows. That says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So he used Jesus as an example and the verses that follow said, Even though he was equal with God, he didn't grasp that. He didn't hang on to his position as equal with God and the Father. But he emptied himself and came and took on the form and shape of of another human being as a servant. And he came to serve and to offer his life a ransom. He said, let that be the attitude in you. As a body that loves one another and loves the Lord, come with a heart and a life that's open, that says, I'm here to give it. I'm not here to hang on to it, to grasp it and demand it and to own it. I'm here as a servant to Jesus, a servant to the body, a servant to each other. Let this attitude be in you. In Ephesians chapter 2, it's helpful to remember, But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You who are a long ways away from God have now been brought near through the blood of Christ, that is through his death, so that he might reconcile them both, in this case referring to the Jews and the Gentiles, uh, but to reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross. God reconciled us to himself through the death of his son. And that's an cue to us it's a model to us it's an example to us to understand the way we come to reconciliation with each other is through death. Regarding someone else is more important than myself having an interest in what other people but their interests are not just my own. and I think this follows in what Jesus said to his disciples in uh, in Luke 923 If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. When you and I practice that in our heart and our mind, give thought and energy to it on a daily basis. This life, my life is not about me. It's about the Lord. And how can I represent him? How can I serve him? What do you want to do in me or through me today? What do you want to shape in me? Can I come with that heart and an attitude and see what God might do in my life? I can tell you this, that if I have something against you personally, until I come to this place, I can't resolve the difference. All I can do is demand my way. But when I come with a heart that uh, denies myself, let this person die hang it up on the cross let it die and do what Jesus called me to do and what Jesus calls me to be that's how I live in a body in a relationship I can be really weird at times I know you you don't you you know me somewhat some of you understand what I say but uh, Carla lives with me uh, for 53 years now yeah But you knew me almost ten years before that, so you knew better. (laughs) But I say this only to say Carla knows what I can be. And I will say things to her or say things out loud around her that I wouldn't say anyplace else because I I would be embarrassed if I did. But it's in me. And so she has to weather these kind of statements on occasion, usually on the freeway. But... (laughs) uh, But but she is gracious to remind me every once in a while that uh, uh, there's probably reasons why people do what they do. Um, Where's your focus? Where's your trust? There's things that she does that she's subtle about it, because she's gentle. Well, sometimes she has to use the sledge. And I, I think sometimes God has to do that with us, too. But that's uh, all I'm saying is that reconciliation happens when I regard others as more important. When I get my when I get my focus off myself, when I get my focus on the Lord and on other people, I'm a different person. Uh, you're without a senior pastor right now. Uh, it's a, uh, a senior pastor is, is not a God design, by the way. I, I'm not finding that in Scripture. It is a cultural thing for us to have a senior pastor. I think it's biblical that there's leadership in his church. But it's interesting that uh, he calls those leaders elders, he calls them shepherds, he calls them overseers. And it's interesting that those three words are used interchangeably all throughout the New Testament. And it's interesting that anytime he identifies leaders, leadership in the church, it's always with a plural word. This isn't in my notes. I don't know. It's just it's here and I'm saying it. That you're without a senior pastor right now, but you're not without leadership. Number one, who's the leader here? Jesus, not God. He's the head and we're the body parts. And some of the body parts have responsibility. And we would identify them with the word leader here. But Jesus is still our head. And you have leaders here. You have people who have spiritual maturity in life and experience and walk and knowledge of the scripture and who can stand and teach to you and have been. You're not leaderless. I just needed to say that to you. I do think that it's a good thing to have someone who can do that full time. And I think that's the advantage of having a pastor who's here full-time. Because all of the elder leadership almost all have other things that involve and engage their life. But somewhere in this, I need to understand that uh, Jesus is the head of this. And I want to keep my focus on him. I had a, another statement in here I didn't say to you before about how we reconcile with each other Um, die daily follow me but it says a dead man when I regard myself dead a dead man has nothing to promote or nothing to protect when a body's lying in a coffin it's irrelevant so when I take a posture mentally by choice that I die I set myself aside I I have nothing to promote I have nothing to protect I'm here to serve. That's just God's posture for us. There are four images in the scripture of the church. Uh, They're pretty simple. Ephesians 2. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are God's household. You're God's family. You came to faith in Christ, and he gave you the right to be called the child of God. And we can address him as our father. We are family. Second picture, uh, we find also in the verses that just follow that, uh, Ephesians 2, uh, 20, uh, 21, 22 He says, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. So we have the imagery in the Scripture that we're a family, and we have another image here that we're a temple that's being built. And in First Peter uh, uh, chapter 2, it says that we are living stones in this temple that's being built. And then a third image that we have here is uh, for and i'm looking at romans chapter 12 4 for just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function so we who are many are one body in christ and individually members one of another so another picture we have here of the church is that we're a body jesus is the head and we're the body parts some of, some of you here are feet and some of your hands and some of your heart's pumping, and some of your breathing, some of your walking you all know, we'll have a function in this body. And the fourth picture that we have here in Ephesians is in chapter five. says, "For this reason, a man shall live, leave his father and mother, and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh." This is a conclusion of the chapter you often hear at a wedding where uh, wives be submissive to your husbands. Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. That whole passage that comes there. And the mystery, he says here, is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. And the whole passage there in chapter five uh, that we use in the wedding context is Jesus is the groom and the bride is the church. It's a reference to Jesus in his church. He's the groom and we're the bride. And so the picture here is that, that we're a bride loved and adored by the groom, Jesus. Those are four word pictures of the church. And what I want you to see here is that all of these pictures, we are the family of God, the temple of God, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. All of these are pictures of relationship, Relationships established by God. We're family because he has redeemed us, reconciled us, brought us into relationship with him. We are his children. He did it. We didn't. We are stones in a living temple that's being built up. And he's placed us in this temple, cemented us in a place. And we have a... a, a we have a role in this wall. And what happens to a wall when pieces of rocks are missing? It's a weak wall. Huh? We are the body of Christ. A living body. All essential to it. All needing each other. And we are the bride of Christ. Christ. Most intimate, loving relationship of all human experience. God's about relationships, restoring them, reconciling them, building them up, growing them. In these four pictures, the family, the person is valued. To the temple, the fit is valued. Are you in place? In the body, it's your involvement, your contribution with your giftedness that's valued. And with the bride, it's love and loyalty to the head and to each other that's valued. So the picture of the church is one of relationships. We are his church, his family, his temple, his body, his bride. And We've been designed to live and serve together in our love for Jesus, each other, and our world. The marks of a growing church have been expressed. Get along with each other. Respect each other. Affirm each other. Encourage each other. Do what brings you together. These are all things that mark the, the church that is loving and following Christ. In John 13, Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you. I want you to love each other like I love you. <coughs> How can we ever live up to that one? But he calls us to that standard. That you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you Love, have love for one another. And let that be the mark of your life as you move on together through these transition times. Just keep growing. Keep growing together. The Lord's got you back. And he goes before you. And it's his in the first place. Thank you.
0: God is good. And all the time? Amen. So in the rough times and the good times. And the happy times and the sad times. That's all encompassing. How's it go? All means all. God is good. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. Because you have brought your word for our lives today, Father God. You chose each phrase, each statement to impact each one of us in here, Father. To make a change in our lives so that your name be glorified. So that your light be shined. So that your love be felt. Lord, we ask that you help us. To be faithful to you and to put into practice what you have taught us today, Father. Lord, we thank you, we love you, and we praise your name today. And we say this with our whole heart, our whole mind, and our whole spirit. And God's people say, Amen. You are dismissed. Please remember that we are going to have a family meeting or congregational meeting in the conference room over in the north wing, so... Please uh, make your way toward there. Thank you. God bless you.